Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. So really what we're going after, really what we're focusing mostly on this year in 2020 is experiencing more of the Lord, more of the Lord in our life, more intimacy. We started talking about intimacy with the Lord last week, and we hear this slogan that goes around, right? We put it on T-shirts. Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. And I'm provoking you today, is it? Is it a relationship, or is it just something that you claim? Do you just wear the shirt, or are you really in a relationship with Jesus? Do you just have the slogans? Do you just claim Christianity? Is it just on your Facebook profile as your religion, or are you someone who is really in a relationship with the Lord? Not someone that has history with the Lord, but someone who has currently experienced the Lord. Not someone that had an experience in the past, but someone that is experiencing the Lord currently right now in your everyday life, not just on Sundays, but every single day. God wants that for you. He wants to encounter you every single day. So when we talk about intimacy with the Lord, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship. We're talking about a marriage. That's my wife and I. We don't just hang out once a week. Hey, how you doing? Good. Let's catch up. Let's sing a song together. Okay, great. Bye. See you next week. No, no, no. We are engaged one another all day, every day. We are spending time together. We are connected. And this is what the Lord has for you. And this is what God is calling you into. And last week, I want to take some cues from last week, kind of hit on some of the points last week, and then get into the content we didn't get to get into because uh, the Lord was just doing something. But in Matthew chapter 25, there's an end time narrative. This is Jesus is speaking of the end time. But how many know that anything that Jesus has to say, even if it's an end time narrative, it has a real time implication? And so just because he's speaking in the end times, it doesn't mean, well, we'll worry about that when we get there. No, no, no. It has a real-time implication. In fact, your eschatology will affect the here and now. It will impact your real life right now, not just the future you, the future kingdom, all that. It is now. The kingdom is here, and it is coming, right? So he gives us his story, Matthew 25. I'll try to read through it quickly so we, since we covered it in depth last week. And you can always go back and pick, listen to the podcast if, if you weren't here. It says this, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. They were bridesmaids. They were going out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamp, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. So they had lamps and then they had jars with oil. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. How many know that you can't have my oil? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get your own. It says this in verse ten. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went out with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, "Open the door to us." But he replied, "Truly, I do not know you. I do not." Know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. So, we have two groups of people in this narrative. We have the wise 
and the foolish. And the wise are those that had a posture of expectancy. They were ready for the bridegroom to come. They were prepared. It said that they trimmed their wick. How many know that the bridegroom goes to prepare the place, but the bridesmaids, the virgins, us in this narrative, we prepare ourselves. So he's preparing the place. He's provided the way for us to get to the place. He's provided the righteousness, but we must prepare ourselves. We must have our wicks trimmed. There must be readiness in our hearts. And the third thing is this, is they carried the oil of intimacy. They were ready for the journey that they were going to have with the bridegroom. I want to talk for just a few moments about lamps. Now, I went on an archaeological excavation this week, and I scurried the interwebs to Mount Amazon, and I purchased a unearthed a <laughs> a lamp. This is a biblical lamp. I was told in first service these are actually called dias. Is that right? Dias. And uh, these are still used some, some today. And what it is is the little clay lamp. Now, I thought on the picture, you guys know how it is. I thought on the picture is going to be much bigger like that one, right? Not, not actual size, right? And But when I got it, I was like, oh, that's pretty small. So it makes sense that you would need 10 of them for a procession. And not just one. And, and I began to look at this, this little little lamp, and I thought, man, that, that's pretty cool. And so as you can see, it cannot hold much oil. In fact, I was made aware during first service that these would actually, will only burn for about an hour and a half. And if you're traveling all night, you're going to have to have some oil elsewhere in order to fill your lamp up. Come on, how many of you are filling your lamp up? Do you have oil in your reservoir? So when we talk about lamps, immediately I, th- I think of Psalm 119, 105, where David says this, Thy word, your word is like a lamp to my feet. Your word is like a light to my path. The only way that I can see through the darkness, the only way I can get to where I'm going in the middle of the night is if I have my lamp with me. If my lamp was there to guide the way. And David says this, and and I would encourage you to read Psalm 119. It'll take you about three weeks. It's the longest book in the Bible. But Psalm 119 is all about the word of the Lord. It is, that's the longest, isn't it interesting? The longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible. (laughs) And so he says, Your word, God. Your word is the light. So when we talk about the word, what are we talking about? Well, first of all, we're talking about the word, the written word, right? The written word, like the Bible that you have. Many of you on a shelf somewhere. Some of you on your phone. Does it just sit on your phone? I downloaded the app. Yeah, but have you used it? I got it on my shelf. I got a great Bible, but do you use it? You have the written word. Now, the, the, the word, the written word is so critical for our lives because it's where we are grounded. The written word is how you learn about God's nature. You want to know who God is? Study the Bible. You don't study the Bible. You study the Bible to know God. Right? You study the book to learn about the author, not just to, so you can quote 
Bible or, you know, back in the day, Bible drills and, you know, all these little Bible things that kids have where they memorize the scripture to get the candy or the points or whatever, or the tokens, whatever it is. No, no, no. You, you, you memorize the Bible. You, you study the Bible to know its author. You study the Bible to learn about God, his nature. And one of the reasons why the Bible is, 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 is so important is because it's objective. It doesn't change. People that that claim that the Bible has changed have not done their homework. I'm going to encourage you to do your homework on that. Don't just listen to what some quote-unquote expert has to say. Study the facts. The Word of God is objective. It's unchanging. And what I love about the Word is it's not selective. In other words, the Bible doesn't apply to me and not to you. Right? Well, that, how do you apply that verse? Well, actually, I don't, I don't apply the verse. The, the verse applies itself, right? I apply myself to the word. I don't apply the word to me. So the word is, is not selective. The, the word is dependable. The word is, is trustworthy. In fact, I, I would suggest this to you, that the Bible has stood up over thousands of years. Thousands of years of skepticism and scrutiny. And guess what? Even after thousands of years, nobody can prove the Bible false. Even after thousands of years. It's crazy. So the Bible is is dependable. It's trustworthy. Therefore, because it is God's word and God is the ultimate authority, we find our authority in the Bible. That's why when someone says the Bible says so, it carries weight. Because by, by, by saying the Bible says so, we're saying God says And God is the final authority, and he's given us this incredible word so we know exactly where he stands on issues. And so it governs our lives. I govern my life by my Bible. It governs my my views. It governs my values, and it governs my virtues. My feelings don't. My feelings change. Therefore, I don't let them rule my life. I let the word of God rule my life because it is unchanging. I don't let culture govern my views. I let God govern my views. And he's shown me in his word how to live, how to have my views, how to have my values, and how to have my virtues. How I live my life, my purity, is because the scripture tells me how to live and how not to live. It's what God said. God has spoken, and he put it in his word. What is God saying? Get in the Bible, and you'll find out. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active. So it's not a stale book. It's not a complacent book. It's a living and active word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit. Well, who can do that? Only God. The joints and of marrow. And discerning, here it is, and the discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you ever been there? You're like, man, why do I feel this way? Why? What, what am I supposed to do? How, I'm just wrestling with this. I've got this conflict. You ever, everybody, you know where you need to go to deal with that conflict? The Word of God. Because the Word of God will help you to discern what God is saying and what my flesh is saying. What Josh Brown is saying versus what God is saying. So I always want to go back to the Word to find my virtues, to find my values, and to find my views. I don't take those cues from culture. I don't take those views from, well, the, what, what I think or what such and such expert says, I take them from God himself. He's given me the word to know those things. And and let me suggest this to you today, that if you will be faithful to the word of God, and you will be faithful with the word of God, God will be faithful with the words that you speak. There's a a story. Let Let me help you out here. There's a story about a guy named Samuel, 
in First Samuel, pretty pretty cool. God in the book with his name on it. In First Samuel, there's a story about a guy named Eli who's a priest, and there's a woman who's barren, and finally God gives her a son. She says, "Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I'll raise him in the house of the Lord. I'll raise him in the temple." And so she has a son. His name is Samuel. Now Samuel was the last what ends the era of what was called the judges. They were the rulers of Israel. They were the ones that ruled the land. And he was, he was the last judge, but he was like the first prophet. Not the first prophet, but he kind of represented the first prophet of the kingdom as it was changing. So now Samuel is the one that went on to anoint Saul, who became the first king. The children of Israel said, we want a king. And God is like, I'm your king. Why do you want a king? And they're like, we want a king. We want to be like other nations. He's like, fine, I'll give you a king. So I gave him Saul. And that didn't turn out very well. Well, then God saw another king who, who he said, this king is after my heart. This, this shepherd boy is after my, my heart. Won't you anoint him king? So Samuel goes and anoints David as king. And David became the great David that we know. And it's where in Jesus we know came from the line of David. So Samuel is significant in our history as believers. Come on. Without Samuel, you don't get Jesus. Right? He plays a role in this story. So here's Samuel. And he's a little child, and he's being raised in the temple because because his, his mama said, I'll, I'll raise him in, in God's house. I'll, I'll raise him in there. He'll work before the Lord. He'll serve before the Lord. So he wakes up one night in the middle of the night. This is all in First Samuel. He wakes up in the middle of the night, and he hears his name being called, Samuel. And so he runs into the room where Eli is. Eli's the priest serving in the house of the Lord also. And he says, Eli, did you call me? He's like, no, I didn't call you. He's like, okay, you guys ever had that happen? You're like, oh, someone said my name. Right? And so he goes back. He goes to bed, wakes up. Again, this happens happens three times. He wakes up in the middle of the night and goes in. So the third time, Eli says, hey, I think the Lord is calling your name, Samuel. Next time you hear it, just say, talk to me, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. The old King James Version says, speak, Lord, for thy servant listeneth. Right? Or something like that. I I can't even remember how, how it is. So far away. So speak, Lord, for your servant listens. So he says, so he does. He hears his name again. Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. So he, 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 at that moment, he learned the voice of God, and he starts declaring the voice of God. Now, Eli, the priest, had some sons that were evil, and they were doing all kinds of wicked stuff in the temple. They were they were sinning. They were stealing offerings. They were eating food. They weren't supposed to. They were, just, they were breaking all the rules. And so God gives a word to Samuel to speak out against them, and so he does. How many know it's not always fun? (laughs) Come on. It's not always fun to hear from the Lord. Sometimes the Lord will speak to you something. Sometimes there's things in the word that we read that we are like, can we move on to Jeremiah 29, 11, please? Right? We kind of like, we kind of get kind of, can I get back into, I can do all things through Christ? Especially ignore the scripture, right? Can we, right? We, We like to do that with the word. And so Sometimes the Lord will speak to us, or there's things in his word that we would like to gloss over or ignore. But if we will be faithful, if we will be faithful to the word of God, I believe God will be faithful. This is what it says about Samuel in 1 Samuel 3.19. It says, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. So not only did, did, because Samuel honored what God said, God said, I'm going to honor what Samuel says. 
So listen, if you will be faithful to the word of God, I believe God will be faithful to your words. I believe that God will put, put, a, put a power upon, there's already power upon what you speak, but I believe God will put a supernatural power upon what you speak if you will be faithful and heed to the word of the Lord. So the written word is critical. It's the word of the Lord prophetically, also the word of the Lord that is written. Even the stuff in the Bible you don't like. If, you'll, if you will wrestle with attention and go, Lord, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to, trying to like this. I'm trying to be like this. I'm trying to, I'm trying to apply my life to your word. Help me, Lord. So the written word. The second word that we have is word is a light unto my feet. First is the written word. Second is the word made flesh. The word made Flesh. We, we always preach Jesus. Come on. The Word made flesh. The Word fleshed out. It says in John chapter 1. John, I love John. John is the most popular book in all the Bible, right? For good reason. It's a great book. We've been reading through the book of John. And I love how John starts out. In the beginning was the Word. The Word already existed. It was already here. He was already here. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. What is it speaking of? It is speaking of Jesus. It's interesting that the Word is referring to Jesus. I mean, that's, that's kind, of, kind of strange. That word in the, the Greek is logos, which is the personification of God's revelation. In other words, what God is saying is in this man right here, the Word. See, Jesus is the Word. He's not literally a word, a word but he is what the Word is pointing to. He is what the word is about. Jesus is what the word was saying. Remember when Jesus says, I fulfill the law and the prophets? You guys remember that? Oh, Jesus, fulfill the law and the prophets. What does that mean? It means this. The law and the prophets is what God was saying. Right? God spoke through the law. God spoke through the prophets. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, God is saying, this is what I'm saying. This, what I'm saying is Jesus. See, Jesus is what the Father is saying. What is God saying? Jesus. It all points, all the law. You go through the Old Testament. All the Old Testament, all the law, all the prophets, it all points to Jesus. Did you know that Jesus, the man that walked on the earth, everything points from history past to history future. It all not history future, that would not be history, but the future points back to Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's all pointing to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one whom every tongue will confess, the one that every knee will bow. It all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. So Jesus is the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture isn't so you have a verse to put on the wall and feel better about yourself in the morning. I'm glad that you have that. But the point of Scripture is the man, Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is what the Father is saying. What is God saying? Jesus. Jesus, the solution. I, lo I love when, when David says this. He says, you sent your word and healed our disease. Isn't it interesting that Jesus came? And healed our disease. I love that. Jesus came. The word made flesh and brought healing. The word brought flesh and brought deliverance. The word. There's life in the word. When we say there's life in the word, we're saying there's life in Jesus. Because the word points to Jesus. Jesus says this in uh, John chapter 5 verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. He was talking to like, the scribes and the Pharisees, people that knew the word well. 
He's like, but you're missing it. The scriptures point to me. See, the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. He was in on creation. He's in on revelation. The point is Jesus. He's the point. He will always be the point. There'll be nothing nothing greater that God ever does than Jesus. God, I want you to move. Greatest outpouring. Greatest outpouring. Jesus. Come on. And I've known many people, just like Jesus is talking about there, they know their Bible, but they don't know the Lord. They know the scriptures. Maybe they were raised in Sunday school. Maybe they've been studying the Bible for decades. Maybe they've gone to school. Maybe they have all this expert scholarship. I don't know, but do they know Jesus? Because Jesus is their credential. So you can know your Bible. And let me even suggest this. You can even know Jesus. I know Jesus. Met him one time at Overflow Church. Went up, raised my hand. I met Jesus. You can have Jesus. You can know the Bible and have no flame. Because, beloved, unless you put oil in that lamp, unless you have intimacy with the man Jesus, there is no light emitting. There is no light coming out. You got to have the lamp. But, beloved, you got to have oil in that lamp. When we talk about oil, we are talking about intimacy with the Lord. It's like you're, many of us are running around, I got a lamp, I got a lamp, I got a lamp. Great. Do you have oil in the lamp? Because a, a lamp without oil is like a car without fuel, right? It's like a, like a fan without electricity. It serves no purpose. It's just pretty and ornate. So how do we develop intimacy? How do we develop a relationship with the Lord? Let me help you. Number one, through devotion. How do you develop a relationship with your spouse? (laughs) Through devotion, by being committed, by walking an aisle, by making a vow. Not just making a vow, but keeping a vow called devotion. I'm a devoted spouse not because I got married, but because I'm in a marriage. Right? I'm in a marriage. I'm in a relationship with my wife. If I'm having problems in that relationship, it's probably because we're not devoting ourselves to one another. Maybe we're spreading ourselves too thin in other areas. Maybe other areas have our affection or our attention. And the Lord is calling us to devotion. That we set our attentions and decisions on the Lord. Listen, you will mess up. You will, you will skip a day of spending time with the Lord. You will. I hope you don't, but you will. I do. But my intention is to spend time with the Lord every day. And sometimes I don't follow through with the intentions. But what we, what we have a lot of is pretenders, not intenders. We need to be intenders, not pretenders. Not people are just saying, I'm a Christian, I'm in a relationship with God, and the only time you ever spend with God is on Sundays. That's a pretender. But you're intentional. You're saying, you know what, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I, what does that mean? That means I have a time that I'm spending with the Lord every day. A devoted time because I'm devoted. There's devotion involved. And my decisions. Oh, I love Jesus. Does your life show it? Or are you making decisions that are contrary to what, what you claim? Because you're claiming you follow God, but your life doesn't look like it. Does it match up? Are your intentions 
and decisions on the Lord. So this is what my devotional life looks like. I wake up early, not super early, but earlier than most of you. I get up about 6.15 most mornings, get up, go and make myself coffee and make sure that I'm awake before anybody else. Why? Because I'm super ADDDDDDDDDD. And if somebody else wakes up, I get totally distracted. And I know that I need to spend time with the Lord. And because he's, he's my Lord. He's, he, we're, we're in this thing. And so I get up. I make my pour-over coffee, make my little breakfast shake, and then I go and I sit on my chair and I open up the Word of God. And I say, Lord, would you speak to me through your Word? I love you, Jesus. I thank you. Sometimes I don't have eloquent prayers. It's not like I'm, oh, oh, Father, thou ten heaven, I've got the whole Bible. No, it's not nothing like that. It's just like, Lord, help me. Help me to set my attentions and affection. I love you, God. I thank you that you're so faithful. I, just, I thank you for your presence, Lord, that's filling the room right now. And I just, I just tune in to the Lord, and I have my Bible. And then I read through the scriptures. I got a pen. Right? I'm, I'm big into, like, paper Bible. Listen, whatever it takes for you to get into the Bible, get into the Bible. But for me, I had to get off my phone because I was blowing up. I'm, like, on there, like, oh, yeah, Lord, bling, okay. Right? And so I'm in there, and I'm circling stuff, and I'm underlining, and I'm scribbling, and I'm pulling out my phone and making notes. I mean, I'm, I'm like, into this thing. And I'm just talking to the Lord as I'm reading the Word. There's nothing really, like, that deep about it. It's like, I need Jesus, so I get together with him. I'm so addicted. I'm so addicted that if I don't do it, I have withdrawals. You'll notice it. If you're around me, you'll know. <laughs> Pastor, you've been praying, <laughs> right? Well, we'll skip this week, right? You'll know. Leslie Brown will know. She'll know real fast, right? Because I'm addicted. I got to have my fix of Jesus every single day. I got to be intimate with the Lord. Beloved, you're addicted too, whether you realize it or not. You need the Lord every single day. It might be in the morning. It might be at night. It might be near your lunch break. But make sure that you have a devoted time. And then you get that word and you meditate on the word. That means that you're not reading the word and going, I read my Bible through it a year. Yeah. Do you remember anything? Uh, no. But I read it. But did you just get into the word and you start meditating on the word? You, this is what I like to say. You get into the word until the word gets into you. You don't have, listen, you don't read. Don't focus on distance when reading the Word of God. Focus on depth. Get into it. Deep, 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 deep. So read that same verse 5,000 times until it becomes ingrained in your nature. Jeremiah talks about eating the scroll. I believe it's Jeremiah. Is it Jeremiah? Ezekiel talks about, yeah, thank you. That's what I said, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, eats the, he said, I eat the scroll. Just eat it. You just feast on the Word of God. We meditate. Now, listen, we don't meditate like the world meditates by emptying their mind. We meditate by filling our mind. We fill our mind with the word of God. And then we ask the Lord to cleanse our thinking. Paul, Paul says it this way, uh, by the renewing of your mind, by the cleansing of the word. So when I'm reading the word, I'm cleansing my mind. Oh, gosh, I shouldn't have thought like that. I shouldn't have, my, my thinking was messed up because I wasn't, yeah, it's where my views come in. I'm allowing the word to, to change that. So I'm meditating on the word. Proverbs 20, verse 27, the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord. Hmm. It's good. It's a good word. That sheds light on one's inmost being. Isn't that a good word? The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord. So we, the, the word is our lamp, but, but the Lord's lamp is 
is the human spirit. This is how he gets into us. Is he, get, he gets in when we can tune into our spirit and just say, mm, I thank you, Lord. Here I am. Nobody else. It's just me and you, Lord. Here I am. This is what I'm troubled with. This is what I'm frustrated with. This is where I'm hurting. This is where I'm healthy. This is where I'm glad. This is where I'm mad. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just bringing it all to the Lord. It might be verbal. It might just be right there in your spirit. Just allowing the Lord to illuminate those things. So devotion, have that time. You've got to have that. And I would say this, if, this is, if you don't have this one, the others won't follow. Sadly, many only have this one and they don't have the others. We're talking about cultivating the oil of intimacy. Number two is this, delight. Now, a lot of people have devotion, but they don't have delight. But intimacy is not just a devoted lifestyle. It's a delighted heart. And so people think, oh, yeah, man, I'm in relationship with God because I'm committed. I don't. I sin less than everyone else. But do you have a delighted heart? Or are you mad at everybody else because they're not doing what you do? You're not functioning out of a delighted heart. You're probably legalistic and you know the Bible really well, but you're not connected to the Lord. We've all known those people, right? We call them Bible bashers, right? You should be a Bible basher, by the way, but you should do it with a smile on your face and love in your heart and compassion and willing to wash feet. Yeah, come on. Willing to tip the waiter well. Yeah, the Lord just changes the mood just like that. <laughs> See? He was, the Lord is just tuning in on you. He's wanting you to get that. It's totally supernatural. <laughs> Delight. Setting your emotions, that means you're setting your emotions and your affections on the Lord. That I'm not just committed to the Lord, I'm actually affectionate. Can you imagine if I was like, if Leslie and I are in our marriage and she's like, and I'm like, I'm committed to you. I have eyes for no other woman. You're the only woman. But I never look at her. I never love on her. I never kiss on her. I never tell her how much I love her. I'm never affectionate with her. And I, there's no joy. We don't laugh together. How terrible would that be? How many know that, you, that laughter is one of the most important things to have in marriage? Laughter is one of the most important things for you to have with your relationship with the Lord. Laughing. <laughs> That's funny, Lord. That verse is funny. <laughs> God, I don't get that. That's crazy. <laughs> Look at Peter, right? It's like you're enjoying that. What a goofy. What a guy. Okay. <laughs> what a goofy guy. Okay. So enjoy the Lord. That's why we're called to love the Lord with all of our heart, right? Love him with your heart. We got a lot of people who love God with all their might, but not all their heart. A lot of people love God with all their mind, which you should, intellectually, but they don't love God in their heart. They're not emotionally connected to the Lord. And we've, well, I came from a camp that was kind of like emotional, emotions are bad. Be, and the reason is, is because most people that are really wired emotionally, that's all it is. There's no devotion. But God wants both. He wants emotion and devotion. And I would say this, that if you don't have emotion, you're not fully devoted. Those things work together. That you're not just committed, you feel like being committed. Your heart is in it. And even if your heart doesn't feel like it today, you're putting your heart there. And the emotions will follow. It's, listen, it's not always fun serving the Lord, but it's mostly fun. It's not always joyful, but it's mostly joyful. I have seasons where it's not that joyful, but it's mostly joyful. I love serving Jesus. It's so good. He's so good. So enjoy the Lord. Love the Lord with all your heart. Psalm 1611. 
You will fill me with joy in your presence. We get, when we get in the, listen, the most joy-filled times of your day shouldn't be when you're watching something filthy on Netflix. It should be when you're spending time with the Lord. That should be where you find your, most of your joy. And we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And then he says this, you fill me with eternal pleasures at your right hand. How many of you know that God doesn't want to just give you pleasure for now? He wants to be your pleasure forever. You're in on this thing, the joy of the Lord. I'm in on it. I love you, God. I enjoy you. You're my delight. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So devotion and delight. Not just a devoted lifestyle, but a delighted heart. And number three is nearness. Nearness. Everybody say nearness. Nearness. Uh, last night, uh, Joshua Sponsler was in here. They're working with kids in the back right now, but I was sitting right there, and uh, he came over there. He had a word for me, and I just kind of put my arm around him and just kind of pulled him in. What were we doing? We were being near. We were just, we were, we were pulling in close. And with the Lord, we need to be pulling in close. We just, need to, we just need to allow him to reach his big old heavenly arm around us and just kind of pull us in. And sometimes we just need to reach out our earthly arm and grab the Lord and just kind of pull him and get into this thing called nearness. And nearness means this, simply a heart that is set towards him, that we're leaning in, we're steadfast, we're set towards him. I, I discovered this scripture yesterday, Psalm 73, 28. He says, but as for me, it's good to be near to God. It's good to be near God. Isn't that awesome? For me, it's good to be near to the Lord. I love to be near for the Lord. I've experienced the pleasure that comes from being close to him. It's so good. So it's not just, it's not just a devoted time. I had that, but it's also throughout the day. Uh, Pastor Leslie and I have this thing that we do. If I text her, it's open game. Like during the day, like I'm working, and then if I text her, I'm like, hey, babe, uh, I wanted to remind you about this. Then it's like, right, blowing my phone up, right? Why? Because she's desiring nearness. And so it's not just like, hey, hey, I'm going to work. I'll talk to you later. It's like throughout the day, we're connecting. We're reconnecting. We're, we're drawing near. I want to illustrate it this way. It's kind of like they have these things in, in your car. When you buy a car, it has a thing in there called a radio. Yeah, I know you got like a CD player, which is like old school. And then I know that you like hook your phone up with Bluetooth and all that. But there's actually is a function on your car stereo called a radio. Well, used to, they weren't digital like they are now. Used to, it was a dial and it had numbers on it. And you would turn that dial to find a station. And it had little buttons you could put on there to program it. That came along later. But at first, it's just a, a, a frequency. That's all it is. Did you know right now? There are, like, football players, and there's, like, sports, and there's commentators, there's political commentary, there's, like, new age commentary. There's all this stuff in the room right now. Did you know that? It's all in the airways. And, and if you've got a radio, you better not have one right now to listen to it. And you, and you turn the dial on that radio, it'll go, hello, and welcome to, what is that? You're tuning in to the frequency. You're getting closer to what it is. Listen, throughout our day when we're dealing with the junk, come on, all the static of life, just I am my beloved's and he is mine. Just tuning into the Lord, just tuning in in those moments. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. 
the Lord saves all those that are afflicted. Just throughout your day, would you just turn the dial, just make the adjustments to just draw in, to tune in to what God is saying. Just tune in. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. All the junk cuts out, and you're totally tuned into what God is saying. It's called nearness. You're just drawing near to the Lord. Listen, in order to hear, you got to get near. you got to get near. Some of you are like, I want to hear from the Lord. Are you tuning in? Are you getting near? In order to hear, you got to get near. So get near to the Lord. Intimacy with him is developed by having a constant conversation with the Lord. Again, it's just all throughout the day I'm tuning in. Uh, got a little static here. Oh, hey, Lord. I pull away from my desk. I put my phone down, and I just pull away for just a moment. I say, Father, I thank you. All the static. Listen, he has things he wants to share with you. It is not a one-sided conversation. Prayer is not a one-sided conversation. Lord, here's my list. Thank you, Lord. Bye. No, it's like the Lord has things he wants to share. So when you're having those devoted times, just sit back and go, Lord, what are you saying? Speak to me. Show me Jesus. Reveal your presence, Lord. Psalm 145, 18. I love this. This is so good. The Lord is close to all who call. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to those that call on him in truth. Those that are calling on him like in a moment of truth. I'm just like, Lord, here I am. I'm vulnerable. Like it's difficult right now. But you're close to those that call. You're close to all that call. Not just the pastors. Not just the prophets. Not just those that have studied the word real good. He's he's close to all that call. You want to be close to the Lord? Call on the Lord. We have that little, those little buttons now we just push right there. I know where to go. Once you learn where it's at, you know where to go. Now it's like it's frustrating. Boom, I'm there. I have those moments all the time. I'm just like, I got it saved. Preset. There you go. Hey, Lord, thank you. I know that I could just, I know that I am just one thank you away from entering the presence of the Lord. So when I get in my car and I'm stressed and I'm frustrated, this is what I do. This is what I do. Thank you. And in a moment, it's like I push that button, that preset. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I'm experiencing his peace right now. I just said, thank you, Lord, because that's a button that I have, that I, that I, I found the station and I programmed it in. You've got to develop these things in your life. That's good. That's free. All right. So the Lord is close to all who call on him. And the last is this, is tenderness. 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 A heart that's moldable. You know, if you're hard-hearted, if you're, quote, unquote, set in your ways, you don't need to be set in your ways, by the way. You need to be set in God ways, God's ways. But you need to maintain a heart that's moldable, that's tender before the Lord. I, I, I've been on a school, in, a, in a school since 1993, the school of tenderness, the school of brokenness. I remember when I came to the Lord, I remember sitting uh, in the, in the uh, institute building at Christ for the Nations. I remember I'd go up there because I had some hardness in my heart when I first came to the Lord. And I, I remember I would just go and I would sit up in that balcony and I would just say, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus and just break all the hardness in my heart. I remember doing that like for like two semesters. Just, God, just take away the, break, break the hardness. The sacrifices of God are broken and contrite heart. Just asking the Lord to make me tender. That's when I started this journey 
of like, Lord, I want to be tender. And you can even ask Pastor Leslie, like, I used to not be very sensitive. Now I'm like, I'm kind of a baby sometimes. And it's awesome because it's like in those moments, like I really sense the Lord is pleased because he's going, you know what, your heart is, is moldable. You're not perfect, but, but you're willing to change. You're willing to be affected by the Lord. You're, you're, your heart's able to be moved. And some of you, you just, you've allowed a, a bank account of negative scenarios in your life to build up and you've got a hardness in your heart. And this is what happens is we blame the Lord when something bad happens. We go, God, this is, this is a, a problem. This, my family life was this way or this circumstance happens and we pin it on the Lord. Why is it that God gets all the credit for all the negativity? Christ, Christians do this all the time. Well, God just, I don't know what God's doing. But I got a bad diagnosis from the doctor this week. Whoa, hold up. He sent his word and healed your diseases. He don't give bad doctor reports. Well, he, he allowed it. We can talk about that, but God's not in that. God is the solution for sickness, not the reason behind it. Sin in the garden is the reason for sickness. Fallen man is the reason for sickness. Jesus brought healing. People are addicted to stuff. Blame God. I don't know why I got this cross to bear. You're bearing it yourself. He didn't, he didn't come to lay something heavy on you. His yoke is easy. His burdens light. I don't know what Bible you're reading where you're getting all this crazy ideas that God is, will God work those things for your purpose? Absolutely. Will he work it for his purpose in your life to make you more like Jesus? Absolutely. He will use Anything and everything, no pain will go wasted with the Lord. But listen, God isn't causing all that drama. God, God is not the source. And, I, and I'm sick of God getting blamed for the drama of humanity. Listen, he brought an end to it on the cross that day. Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died to deal with the pain. He died to deal with the brokenness. So, beloved, you've got to get to the place of tenderness that says, God, I am not blaming you for the problems. God is not the source of the problems. He is the solution for them. He is the solution. He is not the problem. And so if we can go to him with a tender heart and saying, God, I'm just here. I'm yielded to you. He's going, yeah, love that. Let's deal with it. Instead of blaming God. Nothing, listen, nothing will harden your heart like blaming God. I want to invite you into this place of tenderness with the Lord. Lord, I just just yield myself to the perfect love of God, to the beautiful presence of Jesus. And what I've I've seen over my life, like I just, the Lord is softening me. I hope like in 20 more years, I hope I'm just so like, just mushy. That's what I'm going after. I want to be mushy before the Lord. I want to just, I just want to be able to walk into worship and just, I mean, that's the goal of my heart is to be so tender, not to be figured out, not to be solid. Just to be moldable. Whatever you want to do in my life, God, just take it, Lord. You have full access to every area. So, devotion, delight, nearness, tenderness. (laughs) 